Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by HelloFresh. Yes, food delivered to your door with recipes to follow and pre-measured ingredients. Visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code BRAIN and you'll save $35 off your first week of groceries. We received ours and we're loving it. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you jaded by all those same old, been there, done that self-help programs that all seem to boil down to telling you to think positively? You've attracted everything into your life, even that crippling debt. I thought I created my own crippling debt from the decisions I made in the past. (laughs) No, you attracted it. Those decisions may show cause and effect, but because you're in debt now, it's clear that you attracted it. Uh... No, I invested badly and didn't save any money. (laughs) You'll never get it, man. No, I get it. Now I'm making better choices. You are so out there. What a hippie. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like a straight path to denial, then you're in the right place to start creating the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani. I am a personal empowerment coach, and I host this show called The Overwhelmed Brain. This is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Everything I talk about on this show should not be mistaken for actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. What you will find here is an increase in your emotional intelligence, a strengthening of your self-worth and self-esteem, the motivation to be your authentic self, and the forward momentum to help you learn heal, grow, and evolve. All right, I'm going to get right into a letter that I received just recently because it is a good topic to talk about, and that is love. (laughs) In the sense that, is love enough? Is love enough when you're broke? Is love enough when you are hungry? Is love enough when there's any sort of abuse or violence or other domestic altercations? Does love win? This is part of a letter that I received from someone I'm going to call uh, Bill. And he says, I listened to your podcast consistently months ago, but had fallen out of regular listening to not only yours, but others as I became overwhelmed. And Bill, if you became overwhelmed, you should listen to this show. It's called The Overwhelmed Brain. (laughs) (laughs) No, I understand, though. He says, earlier this week, a relationship with my girlfriend uh, came crashing to a sudden end. I've been struggling as this woman has been the focus of my goals and dreams, and I believe that love can make it through nearly anything. She labeled me as emotionally abusive and said some very hurtful things, which made me question my actions throughout the relationship. While I had not listened to your podcast in a while, I still receive your emails, and after reading the most recent one titled... The silent relationship killer. It was almost as if life reached out, grabbed me by the collar, and forced me to listen to you again. 
<laughs> and uh, thank you, Bill. That's correct. I like to grab you by the collar <laughs> and say, listen to this episode or follow this suggestion. I do that sometimes. I don't do that all the time. I'm, I'm very passive when it comes to, hey, you could take this advice or not. In fact, it might not even work for you. But um, I'm glad you were able to connect with the email that I sent because uh, that led to a, a blog article that I recently wrote. And uh, yeah, that was about emotional abuse and if emotionally abusive relationships can turn around. So if you want to check that out, you can go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com. That's where I wrote the article. And of course, subscribe to the newsletter so you can get these updates and you'll be the first to know of any new articles that come out. But anyway, he goes on to say, Paul, I love this woman. I have been in love before, but never has it felt like this. However, I cannot deny that not only have I been somewhat emotionally abusive in our relationship, but she has as well. Oftentimes, I would beat myself up based on what she had said as I constantly sought her approval just to hear her voice on the phone. I'm having a very hard time distinguishing between love and whether I'm just dealing with being a victim. As a man, I do feel weird saying that I was in an abusive relationship as to how it relates to um, my masculinity and traditional gender roles. They say, if you love someone, let them go, which I have done. And as I said, I want things to work between us as I do have genuine feelings. But now I question if this toxicity can ever be forgiven or fixed. At what point should I start to date other people? Even though I know she will always be in my heart, or should I truly just wait and see if things do work out? Can we overcome the distrust, distance, and constant up and downs that we've been dealing with for three years? Thank you for your time and everything you do. I've never donated to a podcast before, but your podcast on emotional manipulation is worth every penny, so I'm proud to help you continue your good works. Peace and love, Bill. All right, Bill, uh, you certainly don't have to donate to this show, but if you want to, you are certainly welcome. Every penny helps. There is a donate button at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Thank you, sir. Thank you for asking. But I'm here to keep putting out my insights and opinions, uh, whether you do that or not, and I'm going to do it for as long as I possibly can. So again, thank you for your support. Now, let's talk about love. In fact, let's talk about a healthy version of love. If you haven't heard my show in a while, uh, then maybe you haven't heard my definition of love, which is supporting the other person's happiness. Now, it took me a while to think about how to define love like that because I had to look at my own life and figure out what is a healthy way to love someone? And should love come from a desperate place inside me or should it be selfless and supportive? And I battled with this during my marriage. For me, love had always been about having someone else get my needs met while I met her needs. Now, that is also part of love. There's, I don't think there's any denying that when we meet our partner's needs, we are somehow fulfilling uh, something inside them that leads them to love us. It sounds so analytical when I say it that way, but there is something to that. I meet your needs, you meet mine. Great. We meet in the middle and we're, we're both getting our needs met by each other. But on top of that, we're meeting our own needs too. So that's part of the equation in my book. Um, also, 
How can I support your happiness? What makes my partner happy? That's an important question. And I believe that if that's the bottom of the funnel, like the very, the tiniest point where everything trickles through, you know how you pour something in a funnel and the funnel gets smaller and smaller and smaller to the bottom. If you think of the the funnel as love, and then you look at the very opening at the bottom and you do this in reverse where you start at the bottom and go up and out like that, then at the very bottom, the smallest part of the funnel, I would say is supporting my partner's happiness. That's where it begins. Because if I were to support my partner's happiness, then the funnel gets wider and then there's more room for love and there's more room to um, make mistakes, um, get into arguments. There's more room for that. And when you start supporting your partner's happiness, when you start there, then the blossoming that takes place as you go up through the funnel and it gets wider and wider, giving you more room for blossoming. If you picture a flower or a tree getting taller and wider and the branches go out further and further, the foundation that it starts on supporting the other person's happiness spreads into this blossoming. Because what happens if you were to evaluate your behavior against the question, does my behavior support the other person's happiness? Then you're going to make probably different decisions that aren't based on selfish needs or, or desperation. So what does that mean? That means that you try it on. You try on your behavior if you were them. Because like one of the things that um, I did in my, in my marriage was I would judge my wife for what she ate. If you've never heard me talk about this before, yes, <laughs> I used to be a manipulator. I used to be a high judger and I had to do a lot of healing around that and then take responsibility for my own behavior and, um, and heal from the judgment issues that I started in childhood. And I got through it. By the time I got through it, my marriage ended and uh, I was a new man, had to go through the pain of divorce, but at least I didn't take that manipulation and judgment into my next relationship. So that, as an aside, is hopeful for anyone who's in a ma manipulative relationship. It is possible to get out of the manipulation, though it could mean the end of the relationship. doesn't always end that way, but uh, it does a lot because, you know, when you're together, it's hard to get out of the dysfunction that you created together. And sometimes the path to healing is individually. But anyway, back to the idea of supporting the other person's happiness. When I was married, my behavior did not support her happiness because, for example, uh, we would buy something sweet at the store. And I would try to avoid buying anything sweet at the store because I didn't want her eating junk food. I was controlling and manipulative and I would do things or give her that look. And that was not pleasant to be around. So I didn't want her to buy this stuff at the store. So I wouldn't. But when she would go out and buy this stuff at the store, I would get angry inside. And, you know, that leads back to when my stepfather drank, he didn't love me. When my wife eats junk food, she doesn't love me. She's um, using food as an emotional crutch. And uh, she's having a relationship with food and not with me. 
It was a whole lot of stuff that was coming up for me there. But let's just say that I chose to support her path. Eating junk food, even though I believed it was a bad idea, was making her feel better, was giving her a break from stress or bad emotions or or something. And if I was truly supporting her happiness, then I would have supported that behavior. That doesn't mean I agree with the behavior. I would just support the behavior as if I trusted her and knew that she could make her own decisions for her own life. Now, I didn't do that in my marriage. I ended up doing that after we separated, and I realized that uh, my behavior was uh, a step to control her behavior. When I think about it that way, does controlling her behavior lend to supporting her happiness? I mean, my, the clear answer is no. I mean, think about that. When someone tries to control your behavior, does that make you happy? <laughs> it probably doesn't. When you go to work, or maybe you're in a relationship where this happens, when someone tries to control what you do, or even worse, micromanage you. When they micromanage you, they want to know everything you're doing all the time. And they're telling you how to do everything that you do. Even stuff that you do well and you know it. How does that feel? Is that person supporting your happiness? Do you even feel any trust or love from that person? When we feel like we're being controlled or manipulated, that doesn't support our path. That doesn't support our happiness. That supports their agenda. So whatever agenda that's going on with them, their control supports their agenda, even though they might claim that their intention is to make us happy. But being there, I can tell you this. My intention was not to make my wife happy. If you eat better, you'll be happier. My intention with my wife was to make me happy. If you eat better, I'll be happier and we'll have no problems in our relationship. That has such depth of control and manipulation painted all over it. And that is not love. That is not really love in my book. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I had to go through this. I had to go through the separation and the divorce and the, the pain and the responsibility, like learning to take responsibility for my own happiness instead of depending on someone else's behavior. I had to take responsibility for that because as soon as you can look at the people in your life and go, wow, those people, um, you know, let's just say that you're in a relationship, that person is doing things that cross my boundaries. My partner, my wife, my boyfriend, my girlfriend is doing things to cross my boundaries or are outside my values, what I value in a relationship, what I value in my health and well-being, what I value when it comes to finances or work and career or my spirituality, my religious beliefs, that person is doing things that aren't in alignment with what I believe. So am I going to accept them fully and just understand that we're going to have our differences, but I can love them anyway and support them on that path? Or am I going to not accept them fully, not accept who they are and what they do and try to control them 
Try to steer them lovingly, <laughs> sarcastically speaking, uh, from the path that they're on because that's a bad path for them. Oh, you voted for so-and-so. That's a bad path for you. Let me try to control you, control your thoughts. I mean, this is timely. You voted for who? Let me try to control your thought process. Let me try to control your behavior so that you get your head on straight because it's important that you do as I want you to do. I want to control you. I want to manipulate you and get you on the path that I prefer, not the one that's going to benefit you. And the same thing in relationships, like with my marriage. You shouldn't eat junk food. It's bad for you. And my thoughts are, you'll get fat and I won't be attracted to you anymore. And a very shallow viewpoint uh, at the time. And I don't make any excuses for who I was and what I did back then. I fully admit that the person I was, I was a different guy back then, completely different. I remember one of my clients said, and I, I might have said this before, uh, are you sure you're not still manipulative? <laughs> How do I know I can trust you? What if you're manipulating me right now? And I'm like, I'm not being manipulative, but I can teach you all the signs of manipulation and then you can tell me if I'm doing it. <laughs> and we laughed. <laughs> well, let me come back to you, Bill, is that um, one of the things that you said and I started talking about was, uh, is love enough? And you didn't ask this question. You actually said that, let's see, what did you say? You said, I believe that love can make it through nearly anything. And let me tell you something that I learned uh, moving in with my girlfriend. I had gotten a divorce. I've been living with family for a while and I was getting back on my feet. And um, my finances were different, but I'd always gotten back on my feet uh, during times of financial crisis in my past. I've had two or three major issues in my past where I was broke and then I got back on my feet. No problem. So I knew that would happen again. However, when I met my girlfriend, I was pretty broke. <laughs> I was getting there. I wasn't broke yet. I was getting there. It was, I wasn't in a position where I would last uh, too long. You know, the finances were dwindling. But anyway, I, I was very honest with my girlfriend. I'm like, I told her, you know, I'm uh, living with my parents and I'm broke. <laughs> I was living with my parents at the time and she laughed because I was so honest and I laughed because I had nothing to lose. I wasn't interested in dating. I wasn't trying to impress her. I just said, hey, this is where I'm at. And we got along great because I was just honest about where I was. But when we eventually started dating and then I moved from New Hampshire to Georgia, and I moved in with her and um, I didn't immediately start making money. Again, I had some, um, but I didn't start making it. She was very mistrusting of what might happen to us. And I had sort of a, a naive viewpoint like you, Bill. I was like, love should be enough. Well, if I do go broke, we still love each other. It should be enough. And then we can make it through anything. And she's like, no, <laughs> love isn't enough. If I don't have money, then I won't be able to love you. And I was like, what? That's so shallow. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't get it. I was, I was um, married and homeless and our love was all we had. 
to get us through this stuff. And um, I think I talked to her about that and she's like, yeah, but I don't want to be homeless. <laughs> I don't want to get into that situation. I don't want to be with someone where I don't feel secure. And she started talking like that. She started uh, highlighting her values in a relationship to me. And one of her values was definitely uh, security in the form of, I don't want to get involved with a bum. I want to get involved with somebody who's able to take care of the bills and do his part. And if you put me, this is her talking, if you put me under the stress of having to make all the money for us, then that's not going to work for me. That's not what I want in a relationship. And this was hard for me to hear because I had always made the assumption that love was enough. It was enough to get you through anything. And I, I started, I don't know, meditating on that. I started really thinking about her perspective. And I thought, you know, some people have gone through a lot in their life and they don't want to go through it again. I'm perfectly willing to hit rock bottom and then step back out and just experience life as it comes, the ebbs and flows. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to get on the bottom. I don't want to be at the lowest point of my life again. I don't like that place. Uh, but I know if I had to experience it that I would survive. However, she's she was beyond that. She doesn't want to get to a place where she can just survive because there's so many fish in the sea that have full-time jobs. So why should she stay with me? Yes, but I have all these qualities and characteristics. You'll never find a guy like me. I didn't really say this. <laughs> I might have thought it uh, just a little bit. There was some ego in there. But at the same time, if one of her values in a relationship is that she's not with someone who isn't supporting and working in an equal way and bringing in uh, money in an equal way, if that's one of her values and I don't meet it, then love doesn't really matter. And what I learned, and it was a very powerful lesson for me, is that love doesn't always supersede other things. And that's sort of hard to say because it's surprising to hear myself say it. Like, what? What if your girlfriend robs a bank and now she's going to go to prison? Won't you still support her? Won't you still love her? Well, that's probably a bad example. That <laughs> probably will never happen. But it, it's sort of like um, when a mom has a kid that uh, hurts or kills someone, she still loves her kid. And in that case, you can look at her values in um, her family and she'll have a value that says love wins no matter what they do, no matter what. And she'll fight for her kid and She'll even go to court and sue the family of the person that got hurt or killed just because he wouldn't have been there if it hadn't been for them. And she'll come up with all these different ideas of how she can support her own child, even though he did X, Y, Z. In that case, love might win. Maybe blood is thicker than anything that could possibly happen. That's my child. No matter what he or she does, I will always love them. In that case, maybe love does win. But in a romantic relationship where there is assumed equality and working together in partnership, and especially the bottom of the funnel where it starts, I support your happiness, it doesn't mean that no matter what happens, love always wins. This is controversial. I know it is. 
But if you hold on to the idea that love always wins, then you might not always be happy. And if love doesn't include happiness for you, then I ask you to redefine love so that it does contain happiness. Because if you don't have happiness in love, then what's the point? There has to be a fulfillment there. And maybe happiness is the wrong word. Maybe fulfillment is the better word there. There has to be a fulfillment there. So if you're in a a relationship where you're not happy, but you're in love, are you fulfilled? Are you at least at peace and satisfied? What's there for you? So what I want you to do, Bill, is think about it this way, is that if you truly, and this is where I'm going with this, if you truly support her happiness and having you in her life makes her unhappy, what do you think the best decision is for the both of you? Because if you want to honor yourself loving someone else and she wants to be happy and having you in there doesn't make you happy, you have a choice to make. And you did say that, you know, I love this woman and, you know, we have broken up and I'm leaving her alone. And you say, you know, I've let her go, but you still want things to work between you. And then you said, at what point should I start to date other people? And, And she'll always be in my heart. And should I just wait and see if things do work out? So let me end this segment with this. You already know that it's a good decision to disconnect and let her go. I'm asking you to commit to the decision. If you truly love her, you will commit to the decision to let her go. And you know what that means? That means when you love someone enough to fully let them go and commit to letting them go, that is supporting their happiness. I mean, if that's what they want, and it sounds like from your letter, that's what she wants. So if you were truly supporting her happiness and wanting to give her everything she wants, you have to turn off that uh, selfish processor inside of you, that, that self-serving, I want what I want too, and, sh- and I want her in my life. If you have that kind of thought process where you go, I want happiness too, and I want her in my life, so I'm going to pursue that, and that doesn't support her happiness, then that is going to lead to disappointment and more toxicity and more behavior from probably both of you that will be very unwelcome and uh, very unproductive and certainly not a path to creating a healthier, happier relationship and especially healthier, happier individuals because that is the goal of any relationship is to become the healthiest and happiest individual so that you can bring that into a relationship and build it from there, from the bottom of the funnel up. Because when you start with two healthy, happy people, you can grow that together and blossom that and expand that together. So what does this mean when you break up and being together is more toxic than not? It might mean acceptance that I need to be with me for a while, just like I was. When I got divorced, I decided not to date. I decided to absolutely stay single because I knew I wasn't ready. How do you know you're not ready? Because you look inside and you feel inside. Am I okay? Am I at a place where I'm okay? 
I mean, that's a good question to ask yourself. Am I okay? Because if the answer is no, I'm still hurting and I'm still in love and I still want what I want, that's not, quote, okay. That is that desperate feeling I'm talking about. That is what drives your behavior. When you have any type of, oh, I just want what I want, you'll make decisions based on that and they'll usually work against you. It usually gets worse from there. So that might mean accepting loss. I've lost the love of my life. Now what? Now I feel like crap. Now I feel awful. Now I have all this pain coming up. How can I deal with this pain? Well, this might be hard to hear, but truly loving someone is knowing that they're happy. And if she's happier without you, even though you want to be part of that equation, you can look inward and go, wow, I am actually supporting her being happy. Just like I can look at my wife now. I know she's in another relationship. And I've seen pictures of her smiling and posting some amazing, wonderful things about her and her boyfriend. And she's just happy and in love. And when I saw that, it warmed my heart. I thought it would actually hurt me. (laughs) I thought that actually seeing her with someone else would injure my heart. But it warmed my heart knowing she was happy because that's love. So if you really do love someone, that's how you show them. You show them that I support your path even when it doesn't include me. I support that. And then you swallow some pride and you realize some emotional pain and you go through a grieving process because acceptance at the end of a relationship is like acceptance of a loss of a person in your life as if they've died and it is grieving. So there's my answer to you, Bill. I hope I was able to answer it in either a roundabout or a direct way. But thank you for writing. Thank you for all your words. Thanks for listening once again after your hiatus. (laughs) I appreciate you. Stick around. We'll be right back for another message I'm going to read on the air. Talk to you in a minute. All right, I'm looking through a little booklet here. It's called The Fresh Life. And The Fresh Life is a book of recipes and how to create these fabulous, tasty meals. And uh, one of them is mozzarella crusted chicken with blistered tomatoes and potato wedges. And this one is citrus skillet shrimp over basmati rice. This one's sweet Italian sausage with couscous and spinach. I could go on and on and telling you what these look delicious and they're from a company called hellofresh.com now let me tell you about hellofresh this is quite an experience because i didn't know uh, anything like this existed i'm talking about a meal kit delivery service not like uh, pizza delivery (laughs) not like where you hope you get the pizza you wanted and you hope it's still warm by the time it gets to you no this is a meal kit that gives you a package of food and pre-measured ingredients that are nutritionally balanced by a dietitian. They, they keep one on staff just to make sure that you're getting something that's not only delicious, but good for you too. Well, I got a box with three meals in it. The stir fry that I just talked about, the chicken, and the sweet Italian sausage meal that uh, I'm really looking forward to eating. 
I tell you what, when I saw these ingredients and they were all measured out and I even had like potatoes and vegetables in here and I was like, wow, they delivered all of this food. <laughs> and not only that, they have these packages already measured so I don't even have to use my brain or get a measuring cup out or spoons out. I could just use the ingredients they gave me and put them in the right order and they walk you through it. When I first moved in with my girlfriend, uh, she said I was the worst cook ever. <laughs> and when she saw this box arrive, she was so grateful <laughs> because now I don't have to guess or think or say, hey, hun, try this experiment. <laughs> so now we have these uh, pre-planned meals where I don't even have to go grocery shopping. All the ingredients are in it. So um, we open the box and it comes in this nice thermal insulation, this bag that you can actually use and probably take with you uh, camping or something. And it comes with uh, this apron that you can wear while you're cooking. Love it. And uh, we put the ingredients in the fridge because they are fresh and they look delicious. I want you to try this company. Go to HelloFresh.com and use the promo code BRAIN. That'll give you $35 off your first week of deliveries. This service takes out all the guesswork and frees your mind to think about other things. Or if you just want to try some really cool recipes, you can either spend hours and hours planning or just have this delivered to your door. I highly recommend them. Go to HelloFresh, that's two words, hello and fresh together, dot com, and make sure to use the promo code BRAIN when checking out for $35 off your first week of deliveries. Try it out. I know you're going to love it. Welcome back. This is Ask Paul. This is where I read a message on the air and I do my best to help answer a challenge or two. I don't normally do this, uh, but I'm going to read a message that I just received recently because it's that important. And um, I'm also going to be a certain way that I'm not usually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be adamant and uh, it's rare that you'll ever hear me adamant about something because I believe that we're all doing the best we can with the resources that we have and uh, it's rare that I'll just say you must do this but today might be a different story. <laughs> I received a message from someone that said she read my infidelity article. And she goes, I can relate to this. And I was touched by your article. You know, I'm with my partner and he's cheated on me several times and I'm not sure what to do. She said every time he's caught, he's sorry. And it's only happened a few times in the last few years. And I replied, well, hopefully you can work things out. And I asked her, he can't stop or he won't stop. And then I said, I hope you can both get to a better place. You know, she didn't ask me for advice, so I'm not going to lay it on her. And um, I have my own opinions about this, but certainly she's not asking for my opinion. She's just sharing that she read the article and she's sharing with what she's going through. So she wrote back and said, thanks, Paul. He can't stop. He says it's an addiction and that he can't live without her. Every time he's caught, he's sorry, but now he wants to get married because he thinks that might be the solution. She said, I really love him, but I don't know if this is curable. And he's actually willing to get help. All right. I know there are those of you listening who have a, a probably a very strong opinion about this. <laughs> like I said, I might be adamant during this uh, segment. But before I am, this person who wrote, I'll call her Sarah, 
I'm going to paint a picture of what happens when you get married. Marriage is not a solution to almost anything that I can think of right offhand. Marriage is not a solution to a dysfunctional relationship or dysfunctional behavior. Marriage is not a solution to addiction. Marriage not a, is not a solution to health issues. Marriage is not a solution to changing a thought process or changing behavior. Uh, well, it's, it's not a solution to changing behavior, but behavior does change, which I'm going to tell you in a second. Now, marriage may be a financial solution or a tax break or a tax burden. It may give you some different rights and different breaks and different penalties when it comes to financial stuff. But uh, seeing it as a solution for any type of dysfunction that's going on in your life, let me break it to you. Marriage is not the solution. In fact, marriage is almost always an amplifier of what's going on now. So if you have any dysfunction in your relationship today, when you get married, that dysfunction 99.9% of the time is going to amplify and get worse. I'm just going to lay that out there and say that's what typically happens. It happened in my marriage. It happened in, in many marriages of the clients that I've worked with. I see it over and over again. And this is similar to a situation where a, a couple, you know, their, their sex life isn't that great and, and they don't get along too well and they're thinking, you know, maybe we should add someone to our sex life. This, is, this might be a little out there for some people listening. <laughs> <laughs> but I've had people tell me, you know, we brought someone else into the relationship and we thought it would spice up our life. And every time, 100% of the time I've heard this, made their relationship worse. Every time. And the reason was, was because they didn't have something healthy and functional and supportive and nurturing and trusting and honest to begin with. They didn't have that. And what they did was introduce another variable into a broken formula. The broken formula was the dysfunction already existed. There wasn't a happy, healthy, supportive, nurturing relationship that existed beforehand before they took a step like that. I'm not going to talk about whether it's good or bad or moral or ethical or not to have a third person in your relationship. That's an entirely different a topic for another episode. But the idea that you think it's going to amplify all the good stuff and make things better when you do this, if they're not already good and healthy and, like I said, everything else, supportive and nurturing and loving, then you are most likely going to make it worse because you have to have a stable foundation in order to take a step like that. For some people, they may be able to do this easily. I don't know. But for the people that I've worked with, when things were bad in the relationship and instead of working on themselves and working on the relationship, they introduce another variable, it always made it worse. So it's a strange comparison, but this is exactly what I see in situations like that. They think the relationship's going to get better and it turns out to be much worse than they ever expected. Now with marriage, same thing. Marriage is not the solution. It's not a fixer. 
It's an amplifier of what's not working now, and it's also a settler of what's working well. So what I mean by that is if something is really fantastic, then it settles down when you're married. This is not always. <laughs> Sometimes it's an amplifier of what's great as well, but it's also an amplifier of what's bad. So if there's something that you don't like or don't want any more of and you get married, you typically will see more of it. So you'll see more of what's bad, maybe more of what's good, but I usually see marriage as a settler for what's really good or great in the sense that you settle down. It's like every time I come home and see her face, she's so beautiful and I'm so in love all over again. Then you get married and that feeling, you know, it's still there way in the background maybe, <laughs> uh, but it settles down because you can't be elated all the time. You just can't be in an extreme state of jubilation all the time. It just doesn't work. You have to settle down at one point and, and reach a place of um, homeostasis or status quo. And once that settling period takes place, then you're content and you're happy and you're peaceful and maybe you're still you know definitely in love and you really appreciate the other person when it works it works really well but when that dysfunction is there before the marriage if you get married not only will it amplify that dysfunction and get worse but now you're locked into it at least you feel like you are you don't have to be but most people feel like oh i took that step i got married now I'm locked in and there's nothing I can do about it. Now he's cheating or she's cheating or he's lying and you know betraying me or whatever it is. And now I'm really stuck because I stopped working uh, just to have a baby or he stopped working and now he's out of a job and we can't afford the mortgage. Now we have to depend on each other and you develop all these dependencies when you get married typically. So this is where I'm going with this and what I'm going to say to Sarah who wrote and this is the part I get adamant. Oh wait, <laughs> I'm not going to get adamant just yet because I want you to answer this question. And this is great because this is something my girlfriend shared with me uh, that her therapist asked her when she was wondering if she should leave her husband or stay or what about these problems that they're having. And her therapist asked her this. If you were me, what would you tell you? Isn't that a great question? <laughs> if you were me, the therapist talking, what would you say to the person sitting in front of me? You. And before she even had a chance to think, my girlfriend said, I would tell you to run. And it was the very first time my girlfriend realized that she had the answer and she just was choosing not to follow through with it. Because I don't know how many months or years later when she finally got out of that relationship, but it left her as a shell of her former self. She was broken. She felt broken. She was wounded. She did not know who to trust anymore. She didn't know if she could trust herself because she stayed in the relationship and she didn't listen to herself. Her internal dialogue, her voice was like, you got to get out of this situation. And then when she was confronted, you know, facing herself, what would you tell yourself? She said, run. 
And she goes, I should have listened to myself. I can't believe I knew the answer way back then. And I didn't listen. And I stayed in the relationship. I can't believe I did that. So that's what I'm asking you, Sarah. If you were your best friend, if you were your trusting, loyal best friend, or if you get along with your mom or dad, if you were one of those people, or your therapist, or someone that you absolutely have faith and trust and uh, believe no matter what they say, and you were them, what would they tell you? So there's the question to yourself. I'm sure you'll come up with an answer. And it's quite possible you might even say, yeah, but he, he's so something. He's so kind to me. He's so generous. He's so giving. He's so loving. And, and this is where I become adamant, he's manipulative. And he will not stop. He won't stop which means you have to make a choice knowing that if you stay, he will continue to cheat. How do I know this? I don't know this 100%. But if you want to know what I think, I'm going to give you my personal and professional opinion. He will not stop. And he will use your heartstrings against you so that he gets his cake and he can eat it too. That means he has someone at home to come home to and take care of him in other ways while he goes out and takes care of himself because he, quote, can't stop. Hey, I'm not saying he's not a sex addict. I'm not saying that he's not addicted. I'm saying that he won't stop. I'm saying that if he is capable of doing it to you not only once, not only twice, but more than that, then he's not going to stop. If you've been together for this long and he's done it more than twice, he's not going to stop. Period. You can either choose to believe me or not. Marriage will make it worse. And what will happen is that your levels of toleration for abuse will continue to rise as they already have. Because I guarantee you, the first time you found out that he cheated, either you caught him or he admitted it or whatever, you were shocked. You were like, how could you do this? How could you possibly do this to me? How could you lie to me? How could you betray us? How could you betray me? How could you do this to our relationship? I bet you felt that way. And then some compassion, and I'm sure you have a big heart and you're very compassionate which is what opens you to more abuse, unfortunately. People with big hearts get, they get taken advantage of sometimes by people like this. So you opened your heart, you opened your compassion, you chose to forgive, which isn't a bad thing. And he cheated again. Now, when he cheats again, is the impact of the shock of him cheating the same? Probably not. It's probably now 98% or 90% of what it was the first time around. That is increasing resilience and toleration for abuse. This is what happens. You get slapped once, it's a shock. You can't believe it happened. You get slapped twice, it's still shocking, but hey, it happened before I can handle this. I still don't like it. You get slapped three times, you hate it. It doesn't feel good, but it's no longer a shock. Hey, I can handle it even more now. 
because I know I survived. You get slapped four times. Now it's par for the chorus. I hate when it happens. I wish it wouldn't. I hope he changes. Let's see what happens. You get slapped five times. I really hate this. I'm going to cry all night now. I hope he changes. I hope he realizes what he's doing to me. You get slapped six times. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And your toleration for abusive behavior, which is what he's doing, because I guarantee you, you wouldn't stay unless he didn't know how to play with your heartstrings. You have to listen to my episodes on manipulative people. I am adamant. You have to listen to my episodes on manipulative people. This is what he's doing to you. Anyone who says, I'm so sorry, I can't help it. It's, it's a sickness. It's a sickness. I can't help it. I'll get help. I promise I'll get help. Anyone who says that, it's yapping their flap. It, all it is is talk. And they probably do want you to stay in their life. And they know you're so compassionate and that you'll forgive. But what they're doing is something that they're always going to do when they get caught. They will always do this. It is their MO. This is how they operate. Let me tell you this. People who are really sorry, people who have really made a mistake, they realize it so much how badly they behaved that they immediately want to get help. And they do it. They don't talk about it. They do it. They seek therapy. They read books. They watch videos. They talk to people. They join support groups. They do everything they possibly can to get help. Because if you're truly sorry, then you will truly do everything you can to change. And when you listen to my episodes on manipulative people, you'll realize that talking is a delay tactic. Trying to convince you is a delay tactic. And every time they speak, it's a delay tactic so that they really don't have to change at all. All they have to do is placate you enough so that they can do their bad behavior once again in the future. And it will be great for a few days, few weeks, few months. Yes, the old you is back. He's not going to cheat. He's not going to lie. This is great. And then he settles back to who he was. Then, once he has gained just enough trust from you, now he can do whatever he wants. He's back on that selfish road doing whatever he wants. So there's my opinion, Sarah, like it or not. I hate to do that to you because it does sound like you are in love with this person. But I want you to remember that you are worthy of an honest person. You are worthy of a person who loves you. You've heard my definition of love, right? Love is when the other person supports your happiness, right? When he cheats, does that make you happy? Yes, but he's addicted. He can't stop. And his addiction is dangerous to you, not only emotionally, but physically. Who knows what he's bringing home? I want you to think about this really carefully. You don't have to listen to anything I say. I don't know your relationship from a hole in the wall, but I know this situation and I know it doesn't end well ever. And if I were in your shoes, I would tell myself, I would rather be alone and even lonely and sad than to be with someone who claims to love me and has sex with other people. I hate to be so blunt, but this is the segment where I'm adamant and I want you to be happy, even if that means being outside of a relationship that you think is loving, even if that means being alone, because I would rather be alone 
than have someone treat me like that. You are worth more than that. I know you have a big heart, I can tell, because anyone that will allow that kind of behavior must have a huge heart, and there are more people out there that deserve that big heart than someone who consistently cheats. And if he truly is addicted, and he truly wants to heal, let him go do it. Let him go do it. And stop listening to the talk. Talk is cheap. Talk is nothing. Talk is delaying and strategizing and making it easier on him today because he knows that you'll be compassionate and caring and feel sorry for him. Stop feeling sorry for him and start feeling sorry for yourself and start nurturing yourself. What can you do to nurture yourself and start believing that you are more worthy than this? And let me leave you with this. I can almost guarantee you that you're out of alignment with what's most important to you about a relationship. Think about what you value in a relationship. If you were to write it down, I bet you at the top of your list is not, he must always apologize for cheating on me. I bet you that's not at the top of your list. I bet that at the top of your list is probably, my partner in life must be honest. My partner in life must respect me. My partner in life makes me laugh. My partner in life supports my happiness, supports my path. My partner in life is working on himself and always learning and healing and growing. My partner loves intellectual conversations. My partner thinks of me when he's at work or when he's traveling. He misses me. I guarantee you, you don't have a value up there that says, when my partner's away, he's looking at other women and having sex with them. I'm being very bold and blunt on purpose, and I'm sorry for that, because I want you to have a better life. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just giving you a reality check that I hope helps you make a decision that's right for you and him. Because when you tolerate dysfunctional behavior, it exacerbates that dysfunctional behavior, meaning it gets worse because it's tolerated. And if he really wants to change and he's with someone who enables that dysfunctional behavior, he won't be able to stop. So someone has to take a step forward and do something drastic here. Anyway, Sarah, I hope you don't think I beat you up. I appreciate you. I care about you. I just don't want to see you get into this any deeper than you already are. Can this work? Is there a chance? I believe anything's possible. But the way it is now, the way you're together, where you have this co-dysfunctional relationship, it's not going to work, especially if you get married. I wish you the best. Thank you so much for writing and sharing that. Send me an update sometime. We'll be right back. All right, this is Ask Paul number two, part two, since I have uh, not much time, actually. <laughs> I don't have much time left. I just realized the time. Well, I'm going to answer this question really quick because I answered this on another show uh, regarding selfishness versus honoring your boundaries. And uh, a young guy wrote to me and said, I'm always anxious because I'm having this debate, this battle inside my head where when I honor my boundaries, am I being selfish? Am I just thinking about me and, and no one else? And, and the answer to that is, hell yes, you're being selfish. 
<laughs> but in a good way. It's self-serving. Honoring your boundaries is when you look at your life and you go, what is acceptable to me and what is not? What will I accept in my life and what won't I accept in my life? For example, when someone chooses to disrespect me, when they are being unjustifiably disrespectful, I don't know if I said that right, but <laughs> when they just come up to me and said, you're a piece of crap and how dare you do this, this, and this. If they're just, they don't know what they're talking about and they're disrespecting me, I'll go, whoa, back off. That's a boundary of mine. I want to be respected in my life. I respect others, so I expect others to respect me. It's just common courtesy. That's a boundary of mine. And when I go, whoa, you need to back off, I'm being selfish. <laughs> I am being selfish. I'm being selfish and self-serving. And damn right I am. Because that's my boundary. That's when you draw the line in the sand and you go, no, that is not acceptable for me. I will not accept or tolerate that in my life. And then somebody might look at me and go, whoa, you're being so rude to that guy. I will say, I have a boundary and he violated it. So I drew the line. That never happens though. When, I mean, it will happen at first. When you first start honoring your boundaries, the very first thing that happens is that the people who know you best will go, who are you? You used to be this nice guy. And then the little parentheses, who didn't mind getting walked on. <laughs> you know what parentheses are, right? They're the unspoken words. You were never this way before. Why are you being so mean now? In other words, why aren't you letting me take advantage of you like I used to? See where I'm going with this? What I want you to do is write down what's acceptable in your life and what's not. It's sort of like the values exercise I talk about. Is Think of an area in life that you have the most trouble in when it comes to boundaries. Maybe it's dealing with family or Maybe it's friendships or relationships or at work or whatever. Think about boundaries. Boundaries almost always apply when it comes to other people. So if you have this real pushy friend and they always get their way with you, you might have to put up a boundary. You might have to go, you know what? What's acceptable to me? This friend always thinks I have to pay. That's not acceptable to me. But if I suddenly say, hey, I'm not going to pay this time. Let's go Dutch or I'll pay this time, but you pay next time. And we'll just start making it even from this point forward. A good friend who honors you is going to say, yeah, that's fair. A good friend will see fairness. A good friend who loves you will honor you honoring yourself. And when you first start doing this, you're going to have people be turned off that you honor yourself. But when you don't honor yourself, Nobody knows how to define you because you're not defining yourself. You need to define yourself in the world. You need to say, this is who I am. This is what I'll stand for. This is what I won't stand for. Period. That doesn't mean you say that every, in every conversation. But when something comes up and somebody says, hey, Paul, can you take the bill? I'm like, I'll pay for my girlfriend, but uh, I'm not paying for this table. <laughs> that's never happened. <laughs> but, you know, that's a boundary that would be like, wow, you're obligating me to pay and we never even discussed this? That doesn't feel right to me. That's unacceptable. Let's talk about this. Hey, I don't mind paying, but to throw it at me like that, pff, that needs to be talked about. What? You're being selfish. 
No, I have good manners, and I also have boundaries. I don't let people assume that I'm going to do something if they haven't discussed it with me ahead of time. You know, that's probably a bad example. <laughs> that would never happen. But I do remember um, a story that happened to me just now. I just, it just flashed in my mind. When I was working for a software company, and we were all, I think we were at a, an expo or something, and we went to lunch. And um, some of our clients were there, and we were having these great conversations. And uh, one of the clients said, hey, I've ha- I have this idea for a piece of software. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's hear it. And he told us what it was. And I was like, that sounds great. And he goes, hey, do you want to get in on me with this? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I have the time or the bandwidth. But, you know, if you get something going, reach out again. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about it. But I, I don't know. Not now. And he goes, um, great. Give me your phone number and I'll call you tomorrow and we'll talk about it. And I was like, whoa, this is kind of weird. I'm like, now I have this client that I deal with in a business uh, setting who's asking me for my personal phone number to talk about something that I really didn't have an interest in. And I was being courteous, saying, yeah, if you get it going, you know, call me later. And yeah, maybe I would have talked about it then. But at that moment, I thought I was clear enough that no, this is not the time. So I didn't want to give him my phone number. And I saw uh, my coworker slash friends there as well looking at me going, I wonder if he's going to give him his phone number. <laughs> it's just something we didn't practice doing, uh, giving our clients our personal phone numbers, especially when you work for a software company. Then they have their own personal tech support. That's a whole other story. <laughs> so I had a, a choice in front of me. If I give him my phone number, then he's going to call me. And you know, I had all, this, all these thoughts going on in my head. So I didn't know what to say. But at the same time, I had to say something. So my boundary kicked in. Like, the guy just assumes that I'm going to give him my phone number. He didn't even ask me if he could have it. He just said, give me your phone number and I'll call you tomorrow and we'll talk about it. It's a very pushy, really sleazy, salesy technique that I do not like. And so I felt a boundary being crossed and I had to come up with something. I had to come up with an answer that uh, was congruent to how I was feeling inside. And uh, what I said was, uh, no, I'm not going to give you my phone number. <laughs> and that's all I said. I didn't follow it up with any justification for it. I just said, mm, no. <laughs> and my friend's eyes got wide and they looked over at the guy asking and the guy was like, oh, uh, okay. And then he backed off. And then I forget what I said. I was like, you know, uh, you have my email address or something like that. But I didn't say that until much later. So all he knew was that I was saying, no, (laughs) I don't want to give you my phone number. And from that point on, he knew where I stood. So that was kind of a bold step. You know, you don't give any justification or excuse or reason. You just say, no, I don't want to. (laughs) Somebody might not like it. And uh, it might have to happen that way for people who are adamant. Or if you can't think of something clever (laughs) to say, (laughs) like I was at that time. So the point is that uh, I felt a boundary being violated. And yes, I chose to be selfish and self-serving and especially self-preserving because I want to preserve who I am. I want to preserve the authentic me, the one who feels good in his own skin, knowing who I am. I'm not a person who can be pushed around. I'm not a person who can just be pulled along on a string at someone else's whim, who can be manipulated, uh, 
at least consciously. <laughs> Sometimes I might get manipulated because I don't know I'm being manipulated, but for the most part, if someone's trying to manipulate me and trying to get things from me that I don't want to give, whether that's information or in my space or things like that, then I do have to stand up for myself. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing. And anyone who thinks differently about that, anyone who thinks it's bad to stand up for yourself, to honor yourself, to honor your boundaries, they probably don't do it themselves or they are used to being a taker and you're the giver and they don't give enough in reciprocation. And typically that comes from people pleasing. I have a feeling that the person who wrote this letter is a people pleaser because otherwise, what would be the problem of honoring yourself? So I want you to give yourself a break. You don't have to have this debate in your mind anymore. Just ask yourself, what's acceptable in my life? What's acceptable in this situation? What do I want for me? And then be okay being selfish. There's a big difference between being self-serving and the selfish that we hear about. The selfish that we put a negative connotation on is someone brings cookies to work and you go and eat them all and none of your coworkers get any. That's selfish. <laughs> That's thinking of no one but yourself and taking something away from them. That's selfish. But when you honor a boundary, for example, in my situation, hey, give me your phone number, I'll give you a call. Uh, no. That's something that it sounds like I'm taking something away from him by not giving him the phone number, but really it wasn't his to take. It wasn't offered. Cookies were offered. They were for everyone. Selfishness comes from a place of fear and lack and greed. It definitely has a different motivation than honoring your boundaries, which comes from a place of confidence in what you want for yourself, preserving your integrity, honoring yourself. Isn't that different? Honoring yourself as opposed to being greedy? That's different. I have had clients tell me that they didn't even know what honoring yourself meant. They didn't know what personal boundaries were until they heard this show. That surprised me. And if that's the case, then what I want you to do, if you don't know what your personal boundaries are, I want you to write them down or at least think about them. Think about situations where you felt uncomfortable, where somebody wanted you to do something or be a certain way or you were in a certain situation where you felt like you had to do something you didn't want to do you probably have some sort of boundary violation going on and you want to figure out what that is. I have this happen at least once or twice every few months. Someone will reach out to me and go, hey, I love your show. I want to talk about a, a business proposition I have for you. But if they go on to say that, hey, I would love to talk with you tomorrow, what time is better, 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock? Now... <laughs> As soon as I read that, I click delete. Gone. It's out. And the reason I delete it, if you haven't already figured it out, is because they're not honoring me and my time and asking the question. They're assuming and being pushy and sleazy and salesy that I'm going to talk with them tomorrow. They're trying to push a psychological seed in my brain saying that I have no choice but to talk with them tomorrow. 
Is it going to be four o'clock or six o'clock or whatever times I just said? <laughs> because we're going to talk tomorrow no matter what. And as soon as somebody does what I call pre-obligates me to something that takes choice away from me, delete, gone. I don't even consider it no matter how good the opportunity is. So that's accessing my boundaries. One of my boundaries is don't pre-obligate me to something that we haven't discussed ahead of time. And especially don't take away my choice. You give me the illusion of choice. Hey, four o'clock or six o'clock. But you take away my choice to not have a conversation at all. You just assume that I'm going to have this conversation. I think it's a sleazy tactic. Just my opinion. If you do it, I apologize. I just don't think it's very ethical. Anyway, thanks for writing. I hope this answers your question regarding uh, selfishness versus uh, honoring your boundaries. I don't think there's much difference (laughs) because selfishness is not a bad thing most of the time. It can be when you eat all those cookies, (laughs) but you get the idea. So send me a follow-up if you hear this episode and you still don't get the idea uh, or the difference, and I'll be happy to expound upon it. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. I'll say some thank yous and close the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. Hey, I didn't tell you I had an interview on a show called Inside Personal Growth with Greg Voison. It was a great show. I want you to head over to InsidePersonalGrowth.com and look for the interview, The Overwhelmed Brain with Paul Coliani. I know you're going to love it. And if you're a patron member, you already heard the episode in its raw format. So you heard that a couple weeks ago. Otherwise, check it out. And I want to thank you if you've purchased The Overwhelmed Brain book. And if you've left a review in Goodreads or Barnes & Noble or Amazon, let me know and I'm going to thank you on the air. So send me an email, Paul at the Overwhelmed Brain, and let me know. Happy to do that. I am grateful for you. And I want to thank HelloFresh.com. Visit their website, HelloFresh.com. In the first week of deliveries, you'll get $35 off if you use the code word BRAIN. You can't beat it. It's a meal kit delivered to you. You don't even have to go to the grocery store. These meals come with pre-measured ingredients. You just put them together. They won't take you more than 30 minutes. And uh, there's also vegetarian options in there too. HelloFresh.com. Use the promo code BRAIN. And I want to thank the patron members. If you're a patron member, I appreciate you. If you want shows and worksheets that you haven't seen or heard, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and check it out. It's a way to give back and get more. I also want to thank those who use the Amazon link. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and use the Amazon link. And every time you shop through that link, the show gets pennies on the dollar for every purchase you make. Every purchase helps. I appreciate you if you're using that link. And I recognize you. Thank you. Finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. The last thing I want to talk about is where I was adamant in today's episode when um, Sarah wrote that uh, her partner had been cheating and he wants to get married and maybe that's the solution. Well, I was hard on her a little bit and I'm not taking that back (laughs) because I definitely want her to make the right decision for both of them if she has to, but definitely for herself. But this leads me into uh, people that are really compassionate, really have a big heart. Is that you? Do you have like this big heart and you're so compassionate towards people 
that you will just keep forgiving and forgiving and let them get away with stuff over and over again. That's how my girlfriend was when she was married. She was so forgiving of all the bad behavior her husband at the time was doing. And uh, it wore her down. It caused her such an emotional, energetic, financial drain that she just couldn't do it anymore. She had to reach that breaking point where she finally got out of it. Let me tell you this. If you're one of those wonderful, generous, kind, compassionate, emotionally connected people, you need to be aware that's who you are. You need to be aware that's your behavior and that sometimes you let bad people in. Sometimes you let bad behavior in. Sometimes you even let abuse in. And what I'm here to say is that when you are compassionate, don't be overly compassionate to other people and under-compassionate to yourself. That is vital. Use your compassion for yourself first. Be compassionate to you. That way when you see people behaving badly, you can look at yourself and go, if I were to show myself compassion in this situation, what would I do? If I were to show myself that I really cared about me in this situation, what would I do? And you may have to step outside yourself and say, you know what, I have so much compassion for you, talking to yourself, that I'm going to steer you right. Because I want you to have a good life. I want you to be happy. I don't want you to be worn down and worn out because you don't deserve that. You deserve so much more and you deserve respect and kindness and love. You deserve someone who's honorable, who doesn't betray. You deserve someone with integrity. And let me tell you this, and this is going to be hard to hear. If you can't find someone like that, don't settle for less. I know that really decreases the... <laughs> the chances of being in a a quality relationship. But what is a quality relationship to you? I made the decision before I met my girlfriend that I'm not going to be with anyone. I'm going to be single. I told the universe, that's it. I'm not dating anymore. I have to work on myself. There's no reason for me to be in another relationship until I'm healed and happy in me. Until I feel worthy that I feel good walking around in my own skin. There's no need for a relationship to appear in my life. There's no need for me to seek one. I signed off the dating sites and set in motion what was going to be my future for an indefinite period of time. Yes, I chose to be single. And no, being single isn't bad. Being alone isn't bad. If you're the type of person that relies on a relationship for happiness then being alone is a great way to heal from that because it allows you to find yourself and be with yourself and understand yourself and know what you want. I know being alone can be hard, but what you're doing is preparing for the greatest relationship of your life. And sometimes that takes alone time. Sometimes preparing for what can be so wonderful takes alone time. It took my girlfriend eight years after she left an abusive relationship to find anyone of quality where she wasn't going to settle for less. And, you know, she went on some dates here and there, but the quality wasn't there. And when she saw any warning signs that, "Uh uh-oh, this is going in a bad direction, she left. 
she never settled, settled for less. And you might have to be alone for a while because you're not settling for less. My advice is don't settle. You know what happened when I told the universe, and I really meant it, that I'm going to be single and I'm going to work on myself. I eliminated the option of being with anyone else. When I did that and my healing took place, suddenly the right relationship appeared. I stopped looking and it appeared. This can absolutely happen when you get into alignment with yourself and you want to work on yourself. Suddenly the right people show up in your life because you're focused on you and the people that want you to be healthy and want you to honor yourself. They're the ones that show up. I chose to honor myself. I chose to want to be healthy and she showed up and other people in my life have shown up that support me on my journey. And it may take a bold commitment to a certain number of weeks, months, or even years. And if that scares you, let me ask you this. Would you wait five years for something that was going to be the best thing in your life ever that might even last for the rest of your life? Would you wait five years for it? Because if your answer is no, you might be coming from a place of desperation. You might be coming from a place of dysfunction. I'm not saying it's bad because five years is a long time. I'm just saying that if you don't put it out there that you will not settle for less, you'll probably get less. And then you'll probably have to live with what you got until you finally leave it and then wait for the next best thing to come along. So sometimes the best thing is right around the corner and sometimes it takes a certain amount of time for that best thing to get their life in order. Let's just say it's a person. <laughs> to get their life in order so that they show up for you. Because sometimes other people need to get ready to meet you just as you need to get ready to meet them. And yes, there's a little spiritual aspect to all this, a little faith to all this, and sometimes that's what it takes. But I've tried this in my life where I just gave up one direction and said, nope, I'm going to focus on this instead. Usually when I focus on what I need to do for myself, what I want and need shows up. It's like God saying, thank you for finally paying attention to you and honoring yourself. That's what I wanted. <laughs> and before that gets any deeper into that subject, <laughs> let me go into this. Open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing.
Today's episode is brought to you by the airplane in the background.